Hello and welcome to the second episode of Novel Not New, a True End podcast. Uh, we choose a visual novel every month, play through it like a book club, and then afterwards we discuss it amongst ourselves. I'm Jennifer Uncle. I'm also on Scanline Media. And uh, why doesn't the rest of the group introduce themselves? Silence. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm Colin Detmar. I'm also from Scanline Media. Uh, I'm M. Marco. I am from abnormalmapping.com. So we released our first episode in November, and um feels pretty positive. People seem to really like it, and we got a few pretty good responses, and... Still, You've got some people. Still not okay. on iTunes. Uh, I've resubmitted it. I don't know what Apple is doing. Apple is a mess, apparently. I don't like. I I remember hearing a long time ago that they didn't like it until you had two podcasts on the feed, and I bet that's probably not true anymore. I've I've but... submitted single podcast shows no problem before, so. Hmm. I think they are just uh, going to be difficult. I don't know. Uh, it was around Thanksgiving. Who knows? Maybe an algorithm ate it. You can never tell. But anyone who's listening to this, I resubmitted it just this morning. So hopefully within the next couple of days, we'll, it'll actually be available without the RSS. But the RSS is up. You can just go on abnormalmapping.com slash novel not new and get the RSS. Plug it into your podcast listener of choice. Get it done. <laughs> totally. So this month, we're playing Narcissu, a game by Tomo Kataoka. And uh, initially came out in 2005. It's been translated to English by multiple teams. It's had a few sequels and more recently around 2014 or a bit sooner than that. They've, they're in the process of releasing a brand new remake along with a fourth game, essentially. And um, yeah, from my understanding, and this is your second time playing it? Yeah, I played Narsu probably around 2006 or so. It probably just came out in English at the time I had watched, I had uh, played it. Um, mm. Yeah. Because I remember people being like excited that it was available uh, and it was just kind of floating on the internet way back in the day. Yeah, I imagine since Steam wasn't as big of a thing as it is now, it was... It was mostly being shared through torrents or whatever. And also, like, the idea of uh, visual novels intersected with Steam, like, 0%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back then they were pretty tight about what they allowed on. Back then, I don't even know if they had any other games besides Valve games. But... Yeah, I think that was, like, that was around the time they were putting Counter-Strike Source out. Yeah, like, way back in the day. Totally. So... Let's see. I'm sorry, I'm blanking for a moment. Well, I think let's let's real quickly just tackle basically what what the game is about, right? Yeah, that's mm. a good idea. So basically, uh in Narcissu, you are the player character is a uh a young man of uh, 20 who is a university student who is um he's been pretty healthy all of his life and then suddenly he's he uh comes down, well, he Probably didn't just come down, but um, is, is made aware of uh, terminal illness and is moved to uh, hospice. Um, and there he meets a uh, a young lady who is also uh, terminally ill. And, is it Sumi? Yes. And um, after after a little bit of, of conversation between them, 
over over the course of I guess probably weeks um about sort of like death and and how they they don't want to they don't have any desire to either just die in a hospital or just go home and die with their families they kind of want to die on their own terms they decide to run away uh they steal the protagonist's father's car and they go on a journey across the country yeah yeah I... that's about the gist very positive game <laughs> <laughs> yeah early on it's established that the floor that both of them are moved to 7f is they the way that the hospital management describes it is oh we're just putting you here while we wait for medical advancements to happen so we can treat you better but in reality it's where they put you to die more or less they don't give you any treatment whatsoever and they have a free free admittance rule no it's checked out three times and there's never a fourth time like eventually if you exceed the number of visits that you have to this specific wing they just send you home and that's that you just spend the rest of your days until you perish more or less mm-hmm. yeah and while uh so the protagonist in my translation it's never established exactly what the protagonist has wrong with them i don't know if that was true for you jen because we played uh me and colin both played like the original translation and you played a more modern one that was apparently more localized than the one we did Mm -hmm. the localization isn't exactly perfect there's some a lot of the sentences are very short and abrupt kind of run on at times there's things like Sickness and I generally had nothing to do with each other, period. Which is why I found the ER waiting room to be utterly boring, period. And it's very curtly written like that, but it's mm-hmm. it's still... Inc- you can still tell what they're going for. And uh, I can't recall if they exactly mention what the illness is within my translation, but uh, I did a bit of research and apparently he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Yeah, which is what yeah I was going to say is lung cancer, but that's I that must be established in like the sequel because I think the protagonist is in that sequel in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not play that, and then uh, Satsumi, it is not said what she has specifically, but it is noted that she has like a scar on her chest, and also she's twenty two, she's older than the protagonist, but is depicted as like oh she's very like thin and childlike. So I assume it is some sort of heart defect or something because that would establish her as not ever growing up like physically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the impression that there have been either they've either removed a tumor or there's been multiple open heart surgeries. Mm-hmm. And then the game itself is mostly like just narration. There's no choice in this game. Uh, over like underneath very widescreen, like very thin ribbon of illustrations of backgrounds, usually and sometimes Setsumi, but mostly just like the hospital or the car or the places that they're going. Um, this is a very like stoic game as it presents to you these like fleeting moments of these two characters interacting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Setsumi herself is the only one who has any voice attached to her. And the performance is pretty interesting because a few times I paged through thinking that the lines were done being spoken, but she usually waits two to three seconds between each sentence before saying them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is uh, she, the way that the conversations work in this, it's mostly like these are just like 
the brief moments exchange that matter in the story is like people who spend a lot of time in silence, just kind of waiting around for something to happen to them. And the way she speaks also like underlines that she just kind of lives life at like a much slower pace because of being in the hospital most of her life. Yeah. By the time the protagonist meets Satsumi, she's been in and out so many times that she was pretty sociable when she wasn't sick, but over time everyone's kind of forgotten about her, so she spent a lot of time in solitary, and she tends to repeat sentences and be very curt with her responses. And if... Unless the protagonist goes out of his way to engage with her, and even then she will often... She'll often ask she'll often have him ask all the questions and occasionally she'll be like well what do you think if he tries to get her opinion and then cuts him off and then just keeps watching tv or staring at the road Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of like nebulousness as they first begin their relationship is like she's like i'm older than you like don't talk back to me or i don't care about your opinion and he doesn't believe her and then it is slowly revealed that no, not only is she like older, but she knows a bunch of stuff, but not in a uh, not in a particularly useful way, aside from getting them across the country. Yeah, she's watched a ton of TV and apparently studied a ton of maps, so she knows her way around Japan like the, or at least the larger roads in Japan like the back of her hand. She's she can call out various car models years as they're passing by. She knows the exact horsepower of the car that they're in without the, without looking at the sheet of paper. She knows a lot of mechanical stuff that is, and she's been out of school for so long that this is her base of knowledge and by itself it isn't useful at all, but it's, it does get them through a mild scare where they don't have much money and the protagonist is worried that they'll fill up their gas and that'll they'll go over and have to spar with the gas station attendant but she reassures him no it's about to be done so it'll be fine and so it's it's knowledge that ends up being pretty helpful along their journey but ultimately if she was ever readmitted back into normal society she wouldn't be able to do much it feels like yeah, I mean, she also, like, neither of them seem particularly interested in, like, going back to their families at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which... It, the protagonist's family is described several times as, even before he got sick like this, they were not very pleasant to him. They, his sister was, had nothing to do with him, and his mother and father kind of saw him as a burden at times. And one of the few times when he comes back to the to home they make him a meal and everything like that they smile but the way that he describes it is they made me sit at the table they peeled tangerines for me they were cruelly kind it was an impressive display so the one time that he comes back and sees them again he just sees everything as this false play to make him feel better which only makes him feel worse like he's totally detached from the few things that the few strands that he had back when he was just living a normal life. Yeah. It feels like, I mean, a lot of it, um, I don't know. There's, there's some, obviously just some detachment on the part of his family. It doesn't seem like they were super engaged in his life before all this. And then just a lot of it seems like him not really knowing how to, 
how to cope with it in in his personal life like you know the the, the cruelly kind bit especially just um I don't know, that kind of seemed like him being a bit of an asshole, and I understand um, how how he would approach it that way, but it didn't, like, it didn't read to me like if you heard this from an unbiased narrator, like his family was trying to be cruel at all. It just seemed like he was not in a good place for it. I don't think they, I don't think he was implying that they were trying to be cruel. I think he was just thinking they never acted this way in front of me before, and now that they're trying this it feels hollow to me hmm. and he the way that he copes with his illness is more or less pretending that it isn't real so multiple times he's talking about the diagnosis and he's just sitting there taking in putting it in the back corner of his mind without actually acknowledging it and that comes to bite him in the ass a few times like there's a point where he tries to rob a pachinko parlor, and because he's used to the idea of what his strength used to be, he picks up one of the coin boxes and it just collapse. He just drops it immediately. Everything goes flying all over the place. He can't carry that, and he quickly realizes, okay, being in denial all this time has probably not been the best for me. I don't know that that one's the denial. I mean, I. I have spent a lot of time in hospitals myself, and I don't think I was in any denial about my condition. But it's just like you if you when you spend three months in a row in a hospital, you aren't conscious of how much your muscles are shrinking in that time. That's just that's gonna happen to you. I don't know. Yeah. Uh like also they basically make it across Japan only eating like a nigiri from department stores. Like they're clearly not characters who are like healthy or well nourished or like taking care of themselves. They have just been waiting around for months at this point and years in Satsumi's case. Yeah. It's okay, they're getting fries too, so it's fine. <laughs> oh yeah. No well balanced meals all around. Yeah. Get that <laughs> potassium. Yep. Yeah, I guess they're just subsisting to go wherever they want to go, and eventually, well, eventually after swerving back and forth through Japan, they decide, okay, Satsumi's talked multiple times about this island with the Narcissus flower within it. We should probably head that way. Yeah, uh, and they explain, like, the idea of, like, the Narcissus myth of, like, a you know, uh, turn into a flower and like punished and like this idea of like beauty and connection that is like forever removed and remote. Like these two characters like are cut off from the world and the basic thematic material of like, Oh, this is a road trip movie and basic like road trip movies are supposed to be coming of age movies. Usually it's like two characters going out in the world, exploring, learning about themselves and they come back changed and better. But these are two characters that are like basically driving away to like the end of life. Like the protagonist is not, is probably healthier, more healthy, they will eventually die, but they are not, like, at death's door in the way that uh, Satsumi is depicted as, like, oh, if she leaves again, she's not coming back. Like, whatever is wrong with her is really wrong with her, and there's no, there's nothing that anyone can do. And so she, when she's ready to go, like, there is a fatalistic approach to, like, yeah, we can go. I'd rather go than be here, and I don't ever want to come back to this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's attached to the morality of their actions as well, like... They steal multiple times, and they get into a car crash or two, and... They, they, he tries to steal the one time. I don't think they ever steal. Uh, he steals uh, the medication. Oh, the medication. Right, right, right. But and that's the, the only actual time. Uh, 
Oh, right. Mm-hmm. The clothes. Yes, you're right. No, that's uh, that's on me. I forgot. <laughs> and almost yeah. the pachinko parlor. But yeah. you get the impression that since it is this fatalistic journey that the morality isn't exactly as present. At, the morality is different than it would be if they were healthy and still had a lot of life to look forward to. Like it's them on survival mode and who cares what we do? We're probably going to end up dead anyway. So might as well take what we need, not cause too much trouble. But if we need this, we're just going to take this. Yeah. I mean, also these are like, like they they're in their twenties, but they are basically teenagers. They've all been like, they've been in hospital so long. And like, they're not like running around hurting anybody. I don't think there's a lot of like moral imperative on their actions. This, that this story like in parts, like we're not asked to like judge them or not. This is just what they're doing to get by. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. It feels like the, um, the stealing the money from the uh, pachinko parlor would have been, would have been a little like not still, over the line, but would have been notably worse than the ones mm-hmm. they actually got away with. Like the stealing, stealing a few pieces of clothes and stealing some medication. I am, I am fairly sympathetic with. Mm-hmm. So, totally. Like the way that medication works within the story seemed to be a bit more lax than it is within America in modern times. But it's still a situation where these people need it, so they. They should probably get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Is there any indication when this takes place? Um... Hmm. None that I could tell. Okay. They had the year marked down, but it didn't seem to matter that much to the story mm. itself. Yeah. I uh, I assume it doesn't actually matter that much, though. Like, this is like a pre-cell phone story, right? Like, these characters take off in the protagonist's dad car, and there's no way for them to, like, contact anybody because there's no cell phones. Totally. Yeah. There's no GPS or anything like yep. that. And the map that they have only takes them so far. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Like, if this was a modern thing, he, the protagonist wouldn't have to rely on such so many to be like, okay, which roads should we take to avoid the toll roads? It would just be, okay, I'm going to open Google Maps and hit avoid tolls. <laughs> well, Sometimes Google Maps is wrong and puts you on toll roads anyway, so maybe they still would have needed Satsumi. <laughs> True. <sighs> the one thing I will say that kind of felt a bit mixed to me is the Echo and Narcissu metaphor, because like a third of the way in, it, well, two-thirds of the way in, it felt like Satsumi was supposed to be the Narcissu, but... She's clearly supposed to be the echo in the way that they describe it because she will never take a stance for herself. She'll only vaguely hint at it. And even if he asks her, is this where you want to go? She'll say, no, I I don't know why you're asking this unless you're saying that you want to go here. And I guess the implication is the protagonist is supposed to be the flower, but... I'm not entirely sure how that works because he's not the one that ended up dying at the very end of it. Like, he's still probably going to die, but his death wasn't in the story like Setsumi's was. Well, I I definitely saw it as the as Setsumi is supposed to be the Echo, who can, like, she can only repeat things. She has no stance of her own, but then the stories of her rejecting that is, like, a way to be. Like, she takes a decision about her life and the way she wants to live it. Or end it in the case maybe in this story, like 
that is to say, like, I'm not going to wait around for someone to make the decision for me, but I am going to make sure that the thing I want is the thing I want. Mm-hmm. And the protagonist being able to just let that go and let that be. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the story, the story of, of Narcissus and Echo, the whole thing is that Echo, you know, like, casts the curse and, and with that curse she disappears. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, Satsumi. Curse is maybe a bit strong, but but casting casting her action, casting her, her first big decision of her own free will and then disappearing. So. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she's particularly, like, cursed the protagonist with making that no. choice. Yeah. I mean, like I don't I don't know that that the narcissist is necessarily supposed to be the protagonist maybe it's society or something I don't know hmm. Yeah I I mean I don't think like it's supposed to be a direct one to one parallel like this is not yeah. like a straight yeah. allegory in that way Sure That makes sense Uh but how did everyone find the game other than unbearably sad <laughs> <laughs> Well this is my first time playing a visual novel without any actual choices to speak of like you said and I found that to be pretty fascinating. Like, they're still using elements from that you'd expect from other visual novels and games. Like, you get a bit of sound, you get a bit of... You basically push the story forward by clicking. You see a bit of music that comes with it, too. And... I don't know, it was kind of a relaxing way to play a game. Or at least play a visual novel. It, it I wonder... I'm not really interested in saying whether this is a game or not, because that's a silly question, but I kind of see why more... I kind of wish more stories would do this. Like, not every story needs to have you committing actions or fighting something in order to be engaging. Sometimes it's nice to just have a bit of visual and music to go along with whatever's happening on screen. Yeah, in this instance, like... The thing, this genre, like, exists in the West. It's just, like, Twine games. Like, there's hundreds of these, thousands <laughs> of these. Uh, and this becomes a very high production version of that and has the merit of existing before Twine, like, blew up or existed in the West or whatever. Um, but as, like, a story experience where the interaction is you unspooling the story, um, yeah, no, like, the question of game or not is not important here. But it is interesting to just have this be a thing like we played dream daddy which is full of uh like side stuff and the game we're playing next month i think has a bunch of mechanic stuff on top of it right oh yeah totally. it does it yeah. does yeah. and so like having this moment to just be like no 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 it's enough for a game to just be text and images and music and uh like hold you accountable for appreciating the story for what it is like visual novels are just that like they're not that different than like reading a comic or watching a movie uh and that's important to, like, what the genre is, I think. And that, that's why I, like, wanted to pick something that was very traditional in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I th- appreciate the change of pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've played one other visual novel that was no interaction before. I, f- I feel like I have. Maybe I'm making that up. Um, but I don't know. I, I It was weird for me because I thought... Um, so this is a game about people with, you know, terminal illness. People spending a lot of the time in the hospital. And I was like, oh, great, I'll find it a lot more relatable because I have so many medical problems. Um, and it super swung the other way. And I actually was really irritated at the protagonist most of the time. And not like like angry, but it's just like I didn't find them. I feel like I found them less relatable because of how different my experience was. And hmm. I don't know. So I, 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 I was engaged with the story and I was happy to keep going through it. But at the end of the day, I don't feel like I, I didn't like it too much. 
uh for me the protagonist is like a character that has like like on some level he's like like the total like uh my force of will is going to dictate the plot shun and protagonist like the reason he leaves is because he gets in his head like let's do this and he talks to her and she doesn't disagree enough to make him stop right yeah um and that drives along the entire plot like his whole like well if you're not going to say no i guess we'll just keep doing this that's how they end up across the country in this field of flowers right but then like for me the thing that's interesting is how much like once they reach that point, he doesn't know what to do anymore. Like his, his interest or his motivation has run out and everything is bad. And the way that that turns to her saying, no, let's go to the beach. Let's do this. These last few things. Let me have the thing I wanted and thought I could never have, which is like, I want you to take photos of me on the beach as just a person who is living life. Like I never was able to. And then like her choosing to go and walk into the ocean and he even like get like he asks her do you want me to bring you back and she doesn't answer him and he takes that as like that means you have decided what you want to do and i don't have to do anything here like his abdication of being the agent that like drives the narrative for it is i think the important thing in his story Mm -hmm. yeah there is that that there is that part where after they've been there for like a day and he's like all right where do we go now and he's and she's like no just calm down we're staying here (laughs) and that's that's a good moment Early on, he talks about how he literally can't do anything unless there's a goal. Like, it may be fine for her, but he needs to know exactly where he needs to get going. And for him to relinquish that, there's there's a sense of that he's finally trusts her to take care of herself in a way. Even mm-hmm. if that taking care of herself is walking off into the ocean. I, there was one kind of thing that bothered me about the portrayal. I don't know if anyone else felt this way, but it feels like there was a bit of awkward sexualization of the sick, very young-looking, almost childlike person. And, I don't know, the way that they described some of that stuff to me felt a bit creepy, even though they stressed multiple times that she is older than him. There's, there's something about the way that she's drawn that feels very childlike in a way. Like it's interesting. Closer. Like, I think her design is, like, meant to be desexualized in 2005. The problem is anime is, like, full of moe blobs that you're meant to, like, fetishize in 2017, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that's an ahistorical view, but that's always how I viewed it as, like, the thing here is that he thinks that this is like someone he can take care of. And in fact, like she has agency of her own and expresses it. And it it's never about them as romantic partners at all. And there's nothing like he is not really pervy at her much. There's that one scene where she like changes. She's like, Hey, just look away. And the one thing that happens there is he like sees her scar or whatever. And is like horrified at the big scar she has. Right. Um, And it becomes about the like ravages of the fact that she is like locked in this, child's body because of her illness and is dying and there's nothing like exploitative about it to me in a world where like there's literally a visual novel about dating girls in a hospital right like that exists i haven't played it but like my reaction to that is to be skeeved out and this is to me feels much more earnest about like the experience of these characters yeah that other one was made by 4chan so you're probably right to be skeeved out by that idea oh great 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 (laughs) (laughs) yeah there is this one cuter moment uh, later on in this game where they get their picture taken by these people on a bridge and he kind of jokes with her being like oh hey they thought we were boyfriend and girlfriend kind of funny huh and she just hides and looks away 
in a embarrassed sort of way when most of her expressions throughout the game are just stoic and I'm doing my best not to look like I care about anything. Yeah. Uh, and for most of the game, like the depiction of her is like, is like, oh, she has like long hair and eyes looking at you from a sad hospital bed, right? Like there's nothing particularly egregious there. And the end is admittedly like maybe questionable. Uh, and I'm not going to say nobody can like, you know, I'm not going to dictate how people feel about that, but, uh, the way she expresses her desire to go to the ocean and have those moments, I think is like, I don't think there's anything necessarily bad about that in the way that at least my translation depicted that. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I tried to pick the one that was not gross. <laughs> you did a good job. Yeah. That Overall, I think that this was pitch perfect in terms of tone and nothing. Well, it never felt incredibly creepy or offensive to me to a over the line sort of way. Mm-hmm. We'll work our way up to the gross. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Build up your thankfully, tolerance. Thankfully, so far, the ones that we've chosen seem to avoid that for the most part. Or commentate on it in a intelligent way. That's not, yeah. oh, we're doing the thing, but also we're going to talk about how, oh, aren't, isn't it funny that we're doing this thing? Yeah, no, I... Like, earnestness is a thing I look for in all of, like, the art I like to experience. And also, like, you know, we're doing this very earnestly. Like, these are meant to be uh, very honest depictions of our emotions of dealing with one of these. I don't understand, like, doing an irony podcast about irony games, right? It's just yeah. sneaking its own tale of garbage. <laughs> totally. Uh, and if we ever do get to one of those games that decides to be super ironic, I imagine most of us are going to be pretty harsh on it. Yeah, no, I mean isn't that the thing like people were like like the audience that like when we talked about dream daddy the audience that saw dream daddy because they liked the game grumps like we're like well this is just like an earnest thing where's the joke and (laughs) there's no joke it's just a cool thing yeah totally sometimes things can just be cool and that's okay you don't need to be ironic about it yeah So, if you have any questions regarding this or any of the other games we've played, you can just send them over to podcast.abnormalmapping.com. Likely put something like novel not new or NNN in front of it just so M or whoever else is looking at the emails can spot them easily. And, yeah, we'd love your feedback on this or any other video games we do. Uh, One thing I have, uh, I meant to say before we started uh, Narcissu, but... Um, the Idle Thumbs podcast Tone Control, which is uh, Steve Gaynor's podcast where he interviews game developers. Uh, his most recent episode, he uh, interviewed Leighton Gray, who was the one of the writers and designers of Dream Daddy. Um, and it is an incredible discussion that made me like that game even more because it is very much just that game was very intentional in the way it depicted its world. And it's really good. Uh, go to idlethumbs.net slash tone control to listen to that episode. Um it it made me very glad that we played that game because uh, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, they've done a they've done a handful of interviews with various outlets. I think they did one with Kotaku around the time the the game launched. And every mm-hmm. interview I've read with them is just like, oh yeah, you know, you guys are are super sincere about this. And like, there's um some I don't I haven't listened to the Tone Control one yet. Sadly, it's yeah. in my queue. Uh, uh, Layton's but... great because she basically talks about the fact that like she put herself like the daughter is basically herself insert character and it made the reason that like it's obvious why everyone loves that because it is 
very much written from a place of like, this is how I grew up and how I feel about my dad. And it's nice. Yeah, that's very sweet. That's really awesome. So, um, Colin, why don't you introduce the next month's game? You just say that because it's literally my favorite visual novel ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> okay, so um, next well, next month we will be tacking uh, Valhalla, which is a uh, cyberpunk bartending simulator visual novel. Um, in case you're looking for it, don't just Google Valhalla. It's V-A-1-1 and then Hala. Um, yeah, it's a it's a Western visual novel produced by uh, Sukeban Games, uh, and it came out last year. So, I'm, I'm does this have excited. ties to Read Only Memories? Uh, it, it has some cameos. Yes. Okay. Yeah, the way that they the way that they planned it out with Read Only Memories is this technically takes place in the same world, but several maybe decades into the future of that. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I've never played this game, so I'm excited to. Yeah, you can get it on um, PC, Mac, and just last month they released a Vita version, in case you're still using your Vita. Uh, I am, but I already have it on PC, so that's where I'll be playing it. Perfect. Nice. Very excited to talk about that one. I, I love that game. So. Yeah, it's very good, and it will be thematically appropriate with the season since it goes from christmas to new year's in a way well december to new year's basically mm-hmm. okay that's, yeah, that's cool a good point. i forgot about that that's a good point yeah so is there anything else we should touch on or i think it's time for the plug zone okay and where can they find the rest of your work if you want to find the Abnormal Mapping podcast, you can go to abnormalmapping.com. Uh, you know, I'm, we have a lot of podcasts. I would specifically plug the Abnormal Mapping podcast itself at a, thebestgame.club, which is a game club much like this. Me and my friend Jackson talk about a game every month or multiple games every month. We will have just put out one on Res, Thumper, and NES Remix, uh, probably the week before this went out. And we have an end of year music podcast coming up, uh, after Christmas. So please look forward to that. You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. And this podcast and all of our podcasts are made possible through our Patreon, patreon.com slash abnormal mapping. Please support if you can. You can get a free Gundam podcast uh, watching all of the Gundam if you support with $1 or more. Thank you very much. Nice. Awesome. That uh, that show helped me get back into Gundam after after a long time away, and now I am maximum gundam mania so thank you very i'm much really for excited for, i'm really excited to get to zeta so oh me too <laughs> yeah i just got to odessa day on that series and that was pretty neat yes and uh i'm at jbu3 on twitter um colin's probably better at talking about the scanline media stuff and probably mentioned something about patreon Okay, sure. Um, I'm at 6264. That's that's all words. You're probably not going to get it right. It'll be in the show notes. Or also, you can just ignore my Twitter, because I don't do anything good on there. Um, so, the Scanline Patreon is patreon.com slash Scanline Media. Um, we are in the process of, of sort of revving it up and maybe revving it down. We'll see what happens with the future and things. Um, but uh, right now, we have our, our only backer reward is also a $1 Patreon-only podcast, which is called Oops All Anime where we try out various anime shows for three episodes and sort of talk about those first three episodes and then decide if we're going to keep watching. And we're jumping all over the place. We have done uh, Little Witch Academia, 
Uh, currently, we are in the middle of Ancient Magus Bride. And uh, preview, just, just exclusive for you guys, uh, the one after that will be um, Recovery of an MMO Junkie. So we're really we're, we're hitting all our bases of current anime. That's not really all our bases, is it? We should really... <laughs> diversify anyway what what do you do you just watch like the first couple episodes of that is that yeah and then like it's it's kind of um so we watch we watch uh we, we do one podcast where we watch the first episode and talk about it we do a second podcast where we talk about two and three and then we decide if we'll come back to it and if we do we move on to the new show and then we'll go back and we'll sort of um we just want to keep changing it up and keep things fresh so okay Cool. I I don't watch any anime that's not Gundam, so maybe I'll check that out. Well, we have we have good assessments of of what they're worth, and you know, for you'll probably disagree with some of our assessments of those shows, but you know, it, it's fun to watch along at least. So, uh, before we quite get out of here, I did want to mention that there is an abnormal mapping Discord. Um, I think Jackson's putting a link to it on the website. Uh, but if you just hit up one of us on Twitter, we can give you the link. Uh. Colin and Jen and me and everyone else who has an normal mapping podcast is on that as mods There's a bunch of people. It's a good community. We have fun there. So please come and sign up and say hello if you want. Yeah, it's a good time. It's the first it's the first discord I've gotten into more than just occasionally poking my head in. So. Yeah. And there's also a part of the channel devoted to discussing this and the other abnormal mapping podcasts. So. If you have any thoughts on this, you can drop us a comment there as well. Yep. So I think that's going to do it for this episode of Novel Not New. And uh, we'll see you next month with uh, Valhalla. I will meet you in Valhalla. (laughs) I don't have anything cute. Sorry. Tapped out. (laughs) Cute. That's giving me a whole lot of credit. All right. I'll take it. Peace. Later.